Welcome to House Mugen, episode 26, The Sword Collector. There was a time in my life, despite as much shit as I talk, there was a time in my life where I was extremely suicidal. This was the time after the military didn't pan out and I got the medical discharge And I almost went to the brig for fraudulent enlistment because I went into the Navy with asthma back when recruiters used to lie and tell you that they could waive that stuff if you passed, you know, physical fitness requirements and all that. And uh, this is a story that I've bastardized for years, but basically right out of high school, I went I wanted to go into the military. I wanted to get as far away from San Antonio as I possibly could. I wanted to get as far away from my family as I possibly could. And I think that was honestly where the suicidal thought started was towards the end of high school because everything was coming to a head. You know, um, I wasn't the smartest kid in my family. And to be completely honest, after all the drama and nonsense that went on in that house, towards the end of it all, they just wanted me gone and I couldn't leave fast enough. But this start part is after, um, is after I uh, got back. Because of course I wasn't gone for very long. Uh, I almost died in uh, Great Lakes. I had walking pneumonia for like two weeks. I thought it was a real bad asthma attack. That was how bad I wanted to stay in the military is that I was I was doing everything. I was doing the maneuvers. I was marching. I was, you know, trying to, to keep up with everyone. They even had me counting cadence at one damn point. And uh, I just, I, at one point I just passed out. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't handle it anymore. And uh, I woke up, you know, in the, in the infirmary and this freaking gorgeous blonde in uniform that was, if anything, five foot exactly is cussing me out. Telling me, what the fuck are you doing in my Navy? Uh, you have two options. You can take a severance uh, pay package or you can go to the brig. And like, I didn't know, you know, I found out it was later from my stepdad, which I still don't even know if this is true, that he was on the phone with, you know, military personnel trying to make sure that I didn't go to the brig. But I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But that story is neither here nor there because, you know, I lied for many years about my military status. You know, to a lot of my friends, I lied to people for years. It was something that started in high school. You know, uh, where I was always lying to get people to accept me and to get people to like me and stuff like that because my home life was shit and because everyone else was living, you know, better lives than me, or at least that's how I, I saw it. And so I would try to find ways to get invited into different groups because all the groups that I grew up in didn't fucking want me. So this is like, you know, after all that. And, and even though I didn't get to do my military service the way that I wanted, you know, uh, I was proud of my work all the way up until that point because, you know, I had stayed in ROTC for all four years. I went into the Navy as, a, as an E3. 
and I could have left as an E4, you know, if I had just stuck it out. But I mean, like I, it, I mean, I, I had a good run for someone that was trying to do what they wanted to do. And I was crazy back then. I wanted to be a Navy SEAL. I wanted to, I, I used to like fantasize and envision me being a mercenary, you know, after a long military career and traveling the world and, you know, all Jason statham out and shit. You know, I used, to, I used to fantasize about that shit in my teens, like, for years. Where everybody else was dreaming about islands full of girls and drinking Mai Tais on the beach. I was thinking about a world where I was doing what the hell I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. And if it involved killing people, I didn't care. Because from what I saw and my experience all the way up until that point, most people were garbage to me. And I could just see it. I'll stop here to explain something. From the mind of an abused person or someone who's been abused by people, they have a different view of life than someone who's never been abused at all. You know, so like when people like would would discourage my love for martial arts and self-defense, or they would discourage my faith in God, or they would discourage my confidence or me being bolsterous or me being angry or any of those things I would always look at those people as sus because from my position those were the things that kept me safe was being angry and being aggressive and not letting people push me around and not letting people talk to me any kind of way because when I didn't do those things when I didn't talk at all I got abused it didn't matter I was damned if I did damned if I didn't and so I was like well fuck it you know, like, if, if everybody else wants to be fucking sharks, I'll be a shark too. Like, fuck. And it was a charade that I had to put on because the real me, the me that had been cultivated in that house and under my my mother's, you know, uh, rule was, was that of weakness and despair and hopelessness and uncertainty and zero peace. And a lot of internal dialogue telling me that I wasn't shit in every way possible. And I think even to this day, I equate like the very harsh inner dialogue that I have with my mother because it was it's the same type of thing. It was just constantly nagging, constantly reminding me of where I'm missing the mark, constantly reminding me of how I failed here and how I failed there, and uh, and just the disapproval and the the distance. You know, the nonchalant way in which you they, they apply pressure to distance and isolation. And it just, it sucks. It, it, it really sucks. And so, like, I had I had the, the, the freaking, you know, the sexual abuse that happened to me as a kid. Compounded by my mother's indifference that kind of just spread to my siblings and my dad. My stepdad at the time. And every bit of that had me wanting to run anywhere and everywhere and crazy enough it had me wanting to run into the arms of the government it's funny how that works you know I grew up in a Christian home with Christian parents under a Christian belief system and somehow I wound up wanting to run to the government to be a dog of the state for them and I dreamed about this all the time. I, man, I, whenever I tell people that I wanted to be a Navy SEAL, that I wanted to be a Merc, or, or that I wanted to, to, to be a dog of the state, I wanted to work for the CIA, I wanted, to, I, wanted, I wanted to do some stuff. I wanted to actually, I thought I was affecting change. 
I really did. I thought that, that if I did those things, that I could actually be a net positive to the world. Killing people, you know, killing bad guys, killing who the government told me to take out. I, I used to dream and fantasize about that shit. And then 9-11 happened, and then everything just went topsy-turvy, and it was just all nonsense after that. And, uh, I mean, I wasn't gone for maybe like a few months, and I went back home. And the reception was poor, of course, because they had it in their head that I quit. And that uh, I never intended on, on filling it out, if they only knew, if they only knew, if they only knew. Because, I mean, the, the, the thing about it is, is that whether they realized it or not, I hated every last one of them. Because I had been in pain for years and none of them gave a shit. So part of me <clears throat> reverted back to the me that I had almost forgotten. The me that my mother will never forget. And so with that, I will tell you this tiny little story. I never really had... A voice and like I say a lot of times I didn't talk a whole lot I didn't talk a whole lot when I was young I sure as hell didn't talk a whole lot when I was a teenager and on my 16th birthday I'll never forget um, my mother got me a diary well she called it a journal but it was pretty much a damn diary she got me one because I guess they had gotten tired of me not talking and me really just kind of withdrawing from them in my room because that was normally what I did is, you know, like to, to set the stage for our family home, every day was church. Every day was church. It was not a day that wasn't church. Every day was church except for maybe Saturday. And Saturday was more of a day of rest for them than it was for us because we were usually doing chores or whatever. When my mom was home, when they were both home, we were always doing shit. So we were smart kids and we learned to stay our asses outside. And so that's what we do. We went outside and we hung out with our friends. I spent most of my time at my best friend Gil's house down the street. I was almost always at his house. And his family was different from mine. He had a traditional Mexican family where everybody in the family gave a shit about everybody else in the family to like an insane degree. And the thing about his family that felt like home to me and made me always want to go back was that every time I walked through the door at his parents' house, Every single person greeted me. They would stop what they were doing to greet me. His sister, and me and her weren't even close like that. She would leave her room and get off the phone with her little friends, and she would come out and greet me and give me a hug every single time. And this was from the day, from the very first day that me and Gil became friends till, you know, till we slowly started drifting apart after high school because we did. We ended up drifting apart. And the reason why we drifted apart was because of my family. I lost a lot of really good friendships because of my family. Because all of, think about this. Think about it this way. If you raise unstable kids, who the fuck wants to hang out with them? Right? And that was what it was. I was unstable. I was unstable as a kid, and I was unstable all the way up until I got out of the house. And the fucked up thing about it is that everybody was consistently blaming that on me. They didn't want to take account of the fact that no one knew jack about me in my own damn house. They didn't know what I was thinking about. They didn't know what was in my head. They didn't know what was going on with me. They didn't know how I was really doing in school. They didn't know anything. And they didn't care because the only thing that they cared about was what the family was supposed to care about from what they said the family was supposed to care about. 
which was just the church and 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 Christ and the Bible and stuff like that. And this is not not anti anti church rant. I don't want to make this sound like an anti church rant. Church is good if it's done in the right context. Believe you me, church is good if it's done in the right con- context. If it's done in the right way, and that's really what this podcast is about is about doing things the right way and so I was like addicted to going to my best friend's friend Gil's house I was always going to his house because I didn't I, I hadn't all the way up until that point this is talking like 16 years all the way up until that point well except for when my real father was around my real father was around I had this but all the way up until this point, for probably maybe like from the age of after my dad left, so like nine, like 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 nine, ten, going all the way up until like freaking sixteen, I hadn't seen a home where people walked in it and every and there was there wasn't yelling immediately, or like what was it? Why haven't you done this? Or you know, argument like his parents like they they doted on him, and he was a good kid. He was a really good kid. He was as good a kid as I was from where I sat. And it puzzled the shit out of me. Because I was like, alright, hold up. So he's a good kid. And these guys, I mean, they're Catholic. I mean, kind, I mean, they're Christians too. At least that was what I was telling myself when I was younger. You know, I was like, they're Christians too. How is it that he seems to have more peace than I do? What is, what is the missing ingredient? How does he have that and I don't? You know, now I can answer that. But I mean, then I just, it, it, it irked me. It irked me that when I would leave his house and I would go to my family, that I wasn't going to get any of that. That I wasn't going to have a grandma come out and be like, hey, you need to eat. That's a funny little story in and of itself. His grandmother didn't know, didn't know a lick of English. That was probably the, the toughest tiny this old lady she was like she was just just nothing but wrinkles abuela like 100% abuela and she was I mean like had the little shawl over her head all the time and everything she looked like a nun like little mother Teresa and she was tiny she was like no more than four foot something and uh his grandma lived with them and every single day that I came to that house didn't matter if it was in the morning didn't matter if it was in the evening. Didn't matter if it was at night. Abuela would get in that kitchen and she would tell me in Spanish and make everybody in the house that knew English tell me, you need to eat. You are too skinny. You need to eat. And she would make me a plate. And she would sit there while we were playing video games, while we were outside playing basketball and make sure that I ate every bite. And I would. And sometimes I would almost cry because it was the best food that I had sometimes in a long time. And it was delivered to me by force by someone that actually gave a damn about me and didn't know why, who I was and didn't know all the thoughts that were rolling around in my head and didn't know my past and, you know, didn't know my family. In fact, you know, the crazy thing is, is me and him were best friends for years and our families almost, our families really never met, like officially never because my parents were too damn good and holy to go down the street and meet them. I mean, this is this is why I, I say this about I, say, I, I have this this stringent critique about churches that do not service the communities in which they set up their churches. It's because there's people living all around you, decent, good, honest people that don't have to go to your church, but 
I swear you could benefit from knowing them. And, and, and who knows? It might be crazy. Um, some actual good might ha- come of it. A, man, a healed together community. The African-American community, we used to know what that was. You know, back when there was a, a Black Wall Street. And it got burned down by people who, who had hate in their heart. And didn't want, you know, the, the community to, to mix and, and be whole. But to, to my parents' defense in a little ways, my mom and my stepdad, they had this belief that a lot of, uh, um, a lot of astringent Christians have that we are to be set apart. They say that all, they say it all the time. We need to be set apart. You know, be separate. You know, separate, separate from them. And it's like I used to sit there and I used to listen to that, and then I would read and I would look at what Jesus did and it just it just those things didn't add up because it was like he was sitting and chilling with publicans and sinners right and the Pharisees were always pissed off about it but then he says we're supposed to be set apart so it's like so what do you mean set apart physically I don't think so I think it was set apart ideologically you know in theory in belief set apart in belief what's set apart what, what, what was the set apart set apart from one with the difference between love and, and, and I guess what's the opposite of love apathy I don't think it's hate I think the opposite of love is apathy because that was that was the one thing that Jesus seemed to constantly be warring against was apathy you know, he asked his apostles to stay up awake with him for a little while while he went on top of a mountain to pray. And he'd come back and they'd be asleep. It's apathy. It wasn't hate. It was a lack of care. And he was so sick of it. Because the thing about care is that if you care for someone, that means that by definition, you see potential in them. That's why you give a shit. That's why you show up and you're like, hey, man, don't do that. That's not you, man. That's why you do that. It's because you see their potential or, or their potentiality. That's why you give a shit what someone else does with their life. That's what love is, 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 is care. And when you show intense care for someone else's life or for the life of living things, it shows. It's very obvious. It's not something that you can easily fake. <clears throat> because the thing about care is that when you administer care to things they grow like plants or trees so it's very very obvious when love is not being applied in a situation because there's no growth there it's all dead hmm starting to all make sense right and, and this is something that I just recently within the past year have, have figured out about my own damn faith but Back to the suicidal thoughts. So, yeah, so I mean, Gil's grandma, I mean, definitely someone that had a huge impact on my life because she was someone that showed me what the divine feminine was. She was a perfect example of it. She didn't care if you were her kid or somebody else's kid, you weren't gonna starve on her watch. You weren't gonna be mal- malnutritioned on her watch. You weren't gonna leave her residence 
unhappy and unfed. And I like that with everybody. Family, they're, they're probably some of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. And they're still that way. You know, I, I, I actually feel bad. I haven't actually, since I've been back in San Antonio, I haven't gone, I haven't even tried to go over there to see if they still live there or not. Because I've been gone for years. But, you know, but like I said, my family, they ruined that friendship because me and Gil, we drifted apart. He started, you know, falling into who he was as a man and finding niches and businesses that he could have, you know, that he could, that he could roll with. He got into real estate and all that. And the thing is, like, before I knew it, him and my other good friends that had good homes and good families and were loved all went right past me because I was too busy dealing with trauma because I was too busy dealing with nonsense in in my parents' house. Because I was too busy trying to find love and acceptance. And because I was too busy listening to these voices in my damn head. They were built from the trauma. They were trauma response. Uh, I know that now. I didn't know that then. And most of the time, the voices were always telling me that I couldn't wait for all of this to be over. In fact... I was just kind of like a running theme of thought in my head, that, especially on the worst days when I just want all of this to be over. That slowly, after years, evolved into I want my life to be over. I just think about it all the damn time. And so, back to the journal. So it's my 16th birthday. My birthday falls in April, and in San Antonio, the month of April is Fiesta. Cinco de Mayo, man, San Antonio is lit. You know, you got the Oyster Bay, you got Niosa, you got all of that. And even though my parents were, you know, super religious and Christian, I guess somewhere they had it in their head that they wanted me to have a really, really good 16th birthday. And this is probably the only single most fun time I have ever had with both of my parents where it was just me and the other kids weren't there. It was the only time. Every time after or before that, the other kids were there and I was usually the butt of jokes. And uh, or the the working mule, you know, at the beach or something like that. You know, like that was that was my role. This big dumb ox Devin. So this was the one day that I wasn't. And my mom gave me a journal for our birthday and a whole bunch of other stuff. And then we went did karaoke at a at a bar, I guess. And my mom sang. And my stepdad, he didn't sing. He, you know, he drank a little bit. And we hung out. And then they took me to Fiesta. And we walked around, and I talked to some girls, and they went and did their thing, and I think we rode a ride or two. It was a great time. It really was. We didn't even stay for very long, though. We went, you know, after that, we, we left. And I went home, and I think the last thing I remember was that little, I had like a whole bunch of these green neon, you know, uh, little necklaces and things. And I was sitting there like, I remember I was laying in my bed, looking up at the ceiling with those little, like things and I was like man hopefully like like this this was a great day I hope every day is like this and so like things are cool for a minute you know because that was kind of that's how things go in an abusive home is that when everything's going the way that that you know the the, the people who are doing the abusing you know are, are is, go, is going wait as long as things are going the way they want it to go life is peachy right so life was life is peachy and so I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm like, I'm 16 now. 
I'm, I'm good. I had good. I, I'm, I'm feeling, you know, I'm feeling better about myself. I'm getting ready to hit another growth spurt, you know, and uh, school ends, you know, and then the summer starts to roll around and then calamity strikes. I went, I went somewhere. I can't exactly remember where I went, but I don't know if it was a birthday party or if it was a gathering uh, at school with ROTC or something. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I was gone. I was out of the house for a minute. And when I come back home, my journal's gone. Now, to backtrack a little bit, I've always been a fairly honest kid, especially when it comes to things about me you know, to me. And so in the journal, I originally started writing about girls that I liked, but I was, I, I don't know. And I, I was such a, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're muddling through trauma, you don't think clearly. It had never even crossed my mind for even a second that someone else would read my journal. Never, never, never crossed my mind. I mean, I hid it and stuff, of course, because I mean, I didn't want my my baby brothers and sisters to read it but of course they didn't really care about me so I didn't think they were really going to read anything so I mean I didn't really know what I was walking into except that my mother was freaking furious and my journal is sitting on the kitchen table I think I can't remember exactly how all that went down I know it was a bad day I remember there was a lot of yelling it was, it was like a whole bunch of stuff because the thing is Till this day, I can't even remember exactly what I wrote. But I will tell you that I I was 100% honest about how I felt about them. And I alluded to the fact in the journal multiple times that I wish they were dead and that I would probably kill them myself if I could. And at the time, I meant every word. Like, there, I can't tell you how many times I wrote in that damn thing. I remember this much. I can't tell you how many times I wrote in that damn journal with tears falling onto those damn pages. Like, I, I, you know, and sitting in my room and feeling all alone with even some of my siblings laughing outside the fucking door because I did some awkward shit in front of the family and they all capitalized on it and made fucking fun of me, not realizing that it was just me reaching out to like have some semblance of a fucking conversation with their asses but of course they didn't give a shit and, and no one really gave a shit and it was it was you know that was honestly the very for, first sword i ever acquired you know uh, jordan peterson taught me about the uh, the ability to turn difficulties into, into tools and with me i've always equated things with swords i love swords and so I think that was the very first sword I ever acquired was that I wasn't going to apologize for shit that I said that I met at the time that I said it. And I, I've, I'm like that to this day. I refuse to apologize. I didn't. I didn't. I, 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 I've yet to apologize. My mother, she reminded me of that for years. She's like, you still haven't apologized. And in my head, I was saying, I'm not going to. Because if I said it at the time and I meant it at the time, it would be a betrayal of myself. It would be a lie to myself if I denounce it now. So why would I denounce it now? And of course, it would break her heart if I told her that I meant it at the time. Honestly, I don't think she would even really freaking care. They never cared about anything that I said about them, good or bad. So, I mean, me wanting them dead is irrelevant. But, oh, best belief. 
my feelings have not changed. If my mother or my stepfather or any one of my siblings were to die now, I wouldn't be too fucked up about it. Now, I know that sounds cold and that sounds harsh and that sounds mean, that sounds even spiteful and evil, but it is 100% the truth. I mean it from my heart. I would feel nothing because you can't miss what you never had. I never had the care. I didn't have doting parents. I didn't have doting siblings. I didn't have siblings that looked up to me. My siblings looked down on me because my mother looked down on me. Like, I, and to this day, none of, none of them respect me. None of them give a shit about me. Like, none of them. I'm the oldest of fucking seven kids. None of them come to see me or their, or their, uh, or their niece. We live in the same city now. We used to live like right down the street. <laughs> Never. So like, it's, it has nothing to do with how I reacted. It was built into the sauce from the get go. And I, I learned that. I learned that about life is that a lot of bad things are built into the sauce. You go into a situation and it's like, it's not fair. Why the hell is this like this? I promise you, it's like that for a reason. It's like that because the people at the top want it that way. Because someone at the top benefits from it being that way. And then I realized, even with my mom, that it was like that. Because whenever there was beef with me, it always became about her. It always became about how this was an attack on her. Whenever I would misbehave, whenever I would lash out about them, you know, being so hard on me or being critical with me or not giving a damn about me, it always turned into an attack on her. And that was a tactic that I became extremely familiar with, where you would disrespect me and then you would flip it on me and say that I was the one disrespecting you because of how I reacted to your disrespect. It was like a, it was like a common theme that I would see all the time. And then the crazy thing about it is, is that when I looked at the Bible and really saw it with new eyes as I got older, I was like, wait a minute, Lucifer plays the same damn game. He disrespected God, didn't have the nerve to rise up against God when he was the one that disrespected him first. It's like, it's like this running theme that I used to see in my life where the people who were the most outraged were usually the biggest offenders. You know? Whenever conflict, whenever conflict went down. And it, man, I was just like, damn, man, like you can't trust shit. And that made life in that house for the next two years unbearable. The discovery of how I really felt about all of them, because I said stuff about my siblings too. The way I felt about all of them, the way I felt about the family, the way I felt about my life, all of it was just was was public record now. And I was mortified. But the one thing that I was more than anything else is I was angry. And I think that was where my second sword, I'm pretty sure, came from. You know, it was a new tool, something I didn't have before. I had never had rage. I had never had rage because I felt betrayed. I felt betrayed in the most in the most purest sense because it's like you gave me that journal to put my thoughts in. Those are my thoughts, and you weaponized them just to prove a point. Something that you always felt knew that I hated you, and well, now you know for a fact that I do, and so now you're going to use that. Not as a learning experience. Not as a, oh my God, what have I done to create this situation? But uh, no, I have an evil kid. Let's punish him more. 
like I said, life is fucking unbearable. I can't even, I know that at one point in time, I was working. I'll never forget this. I was working. Uh, I was working downtown in San Antonio at a place called Lone Star Cafe. That was my first real legit job and I loved it. I was getting paid good. The only thing that sucked about it is I had to work nights and so the buses didn't run at night. And there was this one particular night there was one particular night, I'll never forget it. I had to walk all the way home. I had to walk all the way home uh, one night uh, from from um, from work. I mean, this is, if you want to do the math, you want to see how far I walked, man, this is the kind of parents I had. They didn't give a shit about me. I, got, I walked from downtown San Antonio at night. This is like at maybe 12 or 1 in the morning till uh, till I got home. And if you want to do the distance, that's literally from the Lone Star Cafe in downtown San Antonio to uh, Piper's Meadow subdivision in San Antonio, Texas on the northwest side of San Antonio. I walked that. And what was I greeted to when I got home? My... Mom and my stepdad didn't even open the door. I banged on it, rang the doorbell, and then they came to the door, and they were both furious because we had that rule, you know, you gotta be in before the street lamps come on type shit. But of course they knew that I was working this job and saving up so that I could move out. This was all agreed upon. I was doing, I was holding up my end, I was working. And I was working late. Didn't stay to party. Didn't stay to drink or nothing. I worked so late, I missed my bus. I even called them and told them that night that I was going to miss my bus. And no care. I can't even remember what my mom said. But I, I just, I knew that they weren't coming to get me. And so I had to walk home. And then when I got home, super freaking late, they wouldn't let me come in the house. And so I walked to my uh, other good friend Tello's house. I'll never forget that night. It was raining. Like, I remember literally when I was walking away from my parents' house. And I was, like, thinking of places that I could go. Because my mind, I was in panic mode. I was like, okay, this is, this is real. This is actually happening. Like, I don't have a home now. Like, things have actually gotten as worse as they could possibly get. And so my mind was going all over the place. And the very first place it kept going to is this, we just need to die, bro. We just need to die. This is over with. We just need to die. And my mind was frantically trying to look for a silver lining. It was like, you know, one of those instances where your life flashes before your eyes. You know, I, my mind was constantly thinking of anyone, any kind person that I knew that could help me. And I do not know why. No, you know what? That's a lie. I do know why I didn't go to Gil's house first. I didn't go to Gil's house first because I didn't want to burden them with my problems. They had always been so kind to me and always been so generous with me. And that was the one thing that I didn't want to taint because it was beautiful. And our relationship, my relationship with the Gil's family was beautiful. I didn't want it to be tainted by my family's nonsense. I didn't want it to be tainted by my trauma. And so I refused to knock on Gil's door 
And Gil never knew that that night happened. As far as I know, he never knew that I got kicked out that night. I never told him either. And we pretty much separated, started you know, getting distant with each other after that because my life was just hell. I, I couldn't come around anymore. I couldn't go shoot basketball like we used to. I couldn't go hang out because every waking moment was towards survival because my parents wanted me out of the house because they knew I wanted them dead for how they treated me and how my mother had allowed all this fucked up shit to happen to me and refused to take accountability for any of it. Any of it. And at the end of the day, I was the bad guy simply for wanting peace. Wanting to be seen and valued and cared for. But the fucked up thing is, is that it didn't really stop there because I got forced out of the house. My, 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 they got tired of waiting. I tried to go to college. I tried to use the military money that I got for my discharge to go to college, but it was, it was a crapshoot. I was an idiot and I knew that I was an idiot at the time. And uh, I was just grasping at straws, because they, they were like, the only way that you can stay here is if you if you go to get a job and go to school. And this is like after I got back. So I'm like, I'm like, you know, I'm going on 19, I guess, or 20, something like that. And uh, they were like, yeah, no, you're you're. Yeah, I was going on 20, yeah. And they were like, no, you can't. You, you're not gonna stay here, you know, with with no job and no prospects, so you're going to college and you're getting a job. So I was like, fine, whatever. Because I was like, anything's better than not having a roof over my head. But to go back to that night, because I, 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 I skipped it. But, so yeah, so I'm, I, I walked, I, I walked to, uh, I walked to, sorry for getting ahead of myself, but I walked to, uh, I walked to my friend Tello's house. Now, I love Tello. He's me and him are still friends on Facebook today, which is sad that me and Gil aren't and me and Tello are. But I mean that's his life. But Tello, man, people see things in you that other people don't see. And Tello, me and Tello were always friends. We used to call him Peaches in school. I won't tell you why, but it's just a funny story. But uh man, me and Tello is the best of friends for a long time. You know, because he was probably one of the most kind-hearted dudes I knew. And his grandmother was like, was like old-school German, I think. Like, really old-school German. You know, really wasn't too keen on, 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 you know, black folk being around her house. But he'd take me over there anyway. And I think he was, I mean, like, I watched this crazy movie. He was, a, like, <laughs> I had weird friends, but... Uh, I remember the, one of the craziest memories I have with Tello is that him and some other, like weird psycho anarchist friends of ours because uh, I had I had an anarchist friend group <clears throat> that I used to hang out with and uh and we walked up we watched this crazy movie called Clockwork Clockwork Orange that was by far the weirdest craziest movie that I had ever watched in my life and it, it kind of scarred me a little bit for a little while but I mean like you know it was just one of those things I learned a lot from that movie because, I mean, the ending was crazy. But, um... <clears throat> so I go over to Tello's house. Knowing that there was a good possibility that his grandmother... There was no way in hell she was going to let me stay that night. But I went there anyway. Because Tello was a good dude. And he was one of the only few people that I knew at school that was always nice to me. Always respectful to me. Always kind of gave me a little word of encouragement. Always talked to me like he thought I was cool. When I wasn't. 
especially not back then. And uh, I knocked on his door that night, you know, covered in water and rain. He was like, oh my God, Devin, what you, what's up? What's, what's wrong? What happened? I was like, my parents just kicked me out, man. Like, I just crashed here for the night because I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he paused and it was like, at that moment, we both thought the same thing. Like, grandma's not going for it. But he turned around and tried anyway. He went, he walked up to her. He was in there for a good minute. I know he fought for me. And then he came back out and he was like, man, I'm sorry, I can't. And I was walking, just sitting there thinking like, man, where can I go? And I had already walked this long way in the rain, you know, cause it was in the complete opposite direction of where I wound it up, where I wound up. You know, which was that, I mean, it was like the next thought, I was, I was sitting there thinking, this is the very first time in my life, like I almost have to thank my parents for that night, because that was the very first time in my life that I learned how to think critically. I had never had to think critically before, never. I, I was just kind of muddling through life. I had trauma, I was always muddling through life. And that one instance, as fucked up as it was, gave me a new sword. I learned how to think critically in a crisis situation because I was thinking, I was thinking hard. I was walking in the rain thinking and I didn't really know where I was going but I was walking in the direction of what I was thinking because somewhere in my mind I had it figured out and I was just grasping at straws trying to find it. And then I was like, I gotta get out of the rain. I gotta get out of the rain. And I was sitting there thinking of the one place that I used to work. It was my very first job. I worked at McDonald's and it was literally one right down the street from my parents' house. I was like, they have a play place, McDonald's play place. All I gotta do is jump the fence and I can hide in the play place and no one will see me. I'll be safe and I'll be covered from the rain. Win, win, win. Chicken dinner, let's go. So like I'm almost sprinting in the rain with all my little belongings in a bag towards this damn McDonald's in the middle of the night. It's like damn near two in the morning. I'm just, I'm running. I'm like, I figured it out. You know, the glow of a man that has found the answer. I was smiling, still tears running down my eyes, but I'm smiling because I was like, I figured it out. I figured out a way to survive for the night. I ain't got no food, but I could figure that out in the morning. You know, because I got, I got, I got a little bread. I'm, I mean, I'm okay. I was, I wasn't thinking about 24-hour gas stations that I could probably go. It was like a lot of stuff I could have done. And looking back, it was kind of funny that I got as far as I did. But I mean, like, I was like, okay, you know, I had a little food with me from work, you know, I, I, I bought some snacks along the way, so I had a little bit, so I was like, all right, I can make it through the night. And so I, I, I ran, and I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm such a dork, I'm hiding in the bushes, there ain't nobody in this damn parking lot, it was like, oh, it was a McDonald's that was connected to a giant parking lot that used to be connected to a grocery store, there was nobody in this parking lot, there was nobody in the bar that was open almost until like one at all, there was no, there was no cars around, no nothing, even the lights in the parking lot were off, and the lights at the McDonald's were off, but I'm sitting there thinking like, a cop's gonna see me, and I'm gonna get arrested, and it's gonna be my first time going to jail tonight, like, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I can't nobody see me going to this damn play place, can't let nobody see me. So I'm sitting there thinking I'm some little ninja and I'm sneaking around and like the bushes, peeking over them, looking at the put at the McDonald's, making sure there ain't nobody around, loitering or no security guard or nothing. And then I almost bust my ass trying to jump this damn fence, this metal, you know, this metal gate in the middle of the night that's covered in water and wet. I'm sitting there thinking I'm just gonna leap right over it. Like, nope, almost slipped it, busted my shit. That would have been bad. 
But, you know, my reflexes from the martial arts training paid off, and I, I caught my balance at the last second and landed on my feet. And so I'm like, all right, where should I hide out? And I was like, so I, I crawled up into the spaceship. And <laughs> then I acquired another sword. The value of me time. Because while I was sitting there, I actually, this was the very first time that I was forced to be alone with my thoughts. I didn't have siblings running around bugging me every five minutes with nonsense. I didn't have mom yelling at me, telling me, hey, you need to da 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 Why aren't you outside? Why aren't you doing this? Nah. I didn't have a stepdad asking me a million questions about my future. A future that he honestly could give two shits about. Like, I just had me and those fucking thoughts. And so I'm sitting there. I had a knife on me that night. I'm sitting there in this damn McDonald's play place. And for the first hour, I would say, it was just me, just, oh, woe is me. And for a good minute, off and on crying, off and on trying to figure out how I got here, you know? And then something in me snapped because I kept thinking about, I want to die. I just want to fucking die. I just want to fucking die. I want this shit to be over. This can't be my life. I didn't. I didn't sign on for all this. I didn't ask for any of this. The f- like, I didn't ask for any of this, you know? Like, I need this, like, 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 cash me out. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm done. And so I, at one point, I'm laying there. I'm freezing and I'm cold from all the rain. And then the humidity, I don't know what it was, but the hum- there was this weird humidity that started building up inside the inside the the McDonald's play place and the humidity I realized was coming from me because the more that I kept talking about how frustrated I was with all this shit the angrier I got and the less I was thinking about suicide and something in me just wanted to go down that frame of thought and I said all kinds of fucked up shit I think I cursed at God that night I think I, I, I think I cursed my parents and I wished their death I, I cursed everyone that ever betrayed or, or, or didn't give a damn about me or abandoned me. I was fucking furious. And I was I was screaming at the top of my lungs in this damn Madonna's play place about how I hated every last one of them for how they betrayed me and my trust because they all told me for years that we were family and that they loved me and that they would always be there for me. And they weren't. And it never really changed after that. But that night, I made amends with myself. I was like, never again. I'll be damned. Never again will I quit on me. Because that was the last thought that I remember about being in that McDonald's play place before I finally decided to get my ass out of that damn thing and go my ass home. Because I was like, you know what? We're going to talk about this. I remember that. I was furious. I was sitting in that McDonald's play place and it was so humid in there for me being so damn mad that there was steam coming out of my damn breath and the windows and all that damn play place was fogging up because I was so fucking mad. I was like, how dare you do this to me? How fucking dare you? You give birth to me and then I don't equal up to what the fuck you expect when you never gave me shit to equal up to. And then you cast me out. 
like I'm bad goods. Fuck you. So now I got up. <clears throat> I crawled out of the McDonald's play place. I was angry. I flew over that fucking fence. I was a different person walking out. So I'm, I'm, I'm walking calmly in the rain, just furious, mad as hell. Steam coming off me in the rain. I'm so damn mad. I'm walking back to the house. I knock on the door. The lights come on. And then what am I greeted by? <laughs> oh my God, oh my God, are you okay? Where have you been? Oh, no, no. Fred, he took off. I sent Fred out in the rain to look for you. If we could find you. It... Didn't care. Fell on deaf ears. Because it was too late at that point. The hate that I had for them had been solidified. I had, I had, I had justifiable cause. I was righteous in my anger, and I knew it right then and there. And that was, that was another sword I acquired: is that there was such a thing as righteous anger. I wanted to flip that whole damn house over. Their sorries, they were like daggers in my heart, and they're crying, talking about how they were so sorry for how things played out. I mean, of course, things didn't change after that, but it just, I never forgot that night. I never forgot that feeling, that fire in my heart, how angry I was, and that I knew that I was right. And I don't know, that night, this night stuck with me for many years, all the way until the time that I had, things got bad again. You know, they, they kicked me out, they moved me into this shitty apartment. You know, they tried to make it all seem like it was my idea but it wasn't. And I didn't really, I didn't know shit. They didn't prepare me for squat. I had, what, what have I been telling you about? Is, is Bible, this whole doggone time. Well, that's all I knew. That's all I knew it was Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was all I knew. And I didn't know Jack about paying bills. I didn't know anything about taking care of myself. I didn't know how to cook for myself. I, I mean, I, I didn't. All I knew is, is the little bit that I knew and uh, what I learned in school and what they taught me. And so, like, my first apartment didn't go well at all. I was, I managed it okay for a little bit. But the thing is, even the old people that lived in the apartment complex used to see me kind of like a ghost wandering around there leaving work. You know, I was working a job, I was working at KFC at this point. Uh, and uh, I was doing all right for myself. I was paying for like a, a $609 a month apartment that I could actually easily afford. I had a cell phone, I had bills. And I'll, I'll never forget. I was sitting there, I'm like, I was like, okay. I was starting to get happy for a minute. Like I really was, I was like, man, okay. Okay, I'm away from that house and things are getting good. Maybe it was just that house. Yeah, maybe it was just that house. Maybe that was all that it was. It was just that house. And now that I'm away from the house, and I'm out here and I'm on my own, things would be good. <laughs> Little did I know. The boss that I had at the time at that KFC was extremely racist. And she had it out for me. So much so that, I mean, I, I asked her for more hours. I needed more money so I could take care of myself. So I, 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 I adopted responsibility. It's another sword that I acquired in my youth. I, I learned that if I adopted some form of responsibility that I would get more upside out of my effort. 
And so I was like, I was like, I was, I was a regular dude in the back. You know, I, I just started out, you know, with, with KFC. It's just, you know, I was working in the back, you know, making the chicken, you know, and, and you know, mixing that crazy concoct, that stuff. Oh man, I used to gag every time I would, I would mix those spices with the flour because that shit was unbearable. I'd rather been in the gas chamber. But, I mean, that was what I did. And then one day I was, they were advocating for a new position. Uh, not really a new position. They just needed somebody to fill it. Cause you know, the other one that they had, you know, quit. And something in me was like, you need to do that. More money, you need to do that. I was like, all right, fuck it. So I raised my hand, I said, hey, you know, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do the morning. I'll do the morning. Cause I was tired of working nights anyways. You know, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do, I'll do the morning, I'll do the morning cook, I'll do the morning cook position. It was like eight dollars an hour, which was a lot at that time. I think it was nine. It was like eight or nine, something like that. And uh, and I came in every morning, and uh, you know, and, and set up for the day. And it was, it was rewarding. It was good, except for the fact that I rode the bus. I didn't have a car, and my, I my bus system was was weird like so I, I if i took the early bus i would be there an hour early waiting a whole ass hour for my boss to come and unlock the door or i could leave seemingly on time and be about 10 to 15 minutes late i asked her repeatedly on multiple occasions if this would be allowed i would even stay later to accommodate for it, nothing, nothing doing. She, she, she didn't want to work with me at all, and she used to. This is back when people used to say fucked up shit and get away with it. She used to call me, you know, you, like your black ass doesn't get up here, your black ass this, your black ass that, right? And uh, mind you, you know, like I grew up in a very Latino kind of upbringing after my dad left, with you know, under my stepdad. So, you know, like, like black this and n-word and stuff it didn't really it didn't really have that big of an effect on me i didn't get super emotional about it in fact i you know all the little mexican friends that i had at the time were saying the n-word more than i was so it was just like i didn't i didn't care but it was the fact that i felt like i was being treated differently and it reminded me of that house reminded me of my home and uh i remember (laughs) i remember the very first time that I acquired another sword, which was learning how to stand up for myself. This is the very first time that I had actually stood up for myself. But I'm gonna take a break and I'm gonna tell you that part. So one particular day, which I will never forget, is I come back, you know, I came to work late. This was just, this was like a rolling thing. This had been going on for freaking months of this lady jacking with me every morning for months. It was like like two or three months, you know, because I, I, I think I held my apartment down for like a good month and a half, I think. And then it was the month and a half after that that was pretty much hell. And I'll get to that. But... So I go to work one day and I had it in my head. I was like, you know what? I ain't gonna take this lady shit today. I'm not. Like, I'm already still dealing with my suicidal thoughts back at my place. I bought myself a PlayStation. 
I'm sitting there playing like video games, like those same game. I only had one game. <laughs> it was Chrono Trigger. I played that game. It was like my source of stress relief and and to get out, you know, get to you know avoid those damn thoughts in my head and shit. I'm sitting in that apartment alone, you know. So like whenever I wasn't working, I was playing Chrono Trigger. I was playing the fuck out of Chrono Trigger, and uh, I beat the game. Like that's how much I played it. You know, and you know how hard it is to beat those old school role playing games. I didn't think I was ever gonna beat that damn thing. It was just so many missions. It took forever, but yeah. So like, I go to work this morning, and she's like, as soon as I walk through the freaking door, she's in my face. I'm sick and tired of your black ass showing up work. Da da da, and I can't, I can't take this. Like, mind you. And I say this without ego. Every day that I worked, everything went smooth because I would come in and I, I'm the kind of person that I hate feeling like I fucked up. So I would overwork. I straightened up everything. I would clean everything. I would set everything up. I literally did so much of her job and so much work that she was sitting on her ass most of the damn time while she was yelling at me or walking around doing paperwork. I was making stuff and setting stuff up at the same time, damn near by myself. There was usually only one other person there in the morning aside from that. But in the beginning of the day, it was always just me and her. And it was me and her for hours until someone else came in. Like at least two, you know? Because, I mean, KFC ain't no morning job. It's like, you know, or, or, you know it's, a, it's like they got evenings and stuff like that. You know, they, that's when they open up. So, man, I'm, I, I was like, man, I can't, I, I can't deal with another day of this, you know? And it was just, it was being alone in my head in that apartment was getting to me. That was really all that it was. And this one day, I just, I just didn't want, I didn't want it. I didn't want, I didn't want the conflict. I didn't want the beef. I didn't want to get yelled at. I just didn't want it. And the closer I got to my job, the more anxiety started to fill up and the more just me just starting to shut down. And I was just, I feel myself getting angry. And up until this point, I had never snapped at someone who wasn't family. Never. I had never lost my temper on someone who wasn't family before. Till today. So I go into work and... It was like it was like my mom all over again. It was the constant nagging. And how dare you? Da, 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 you showed up late again, and I'm sick of it. Da, da, da. And I was like, I just snapped. I was like, bitch, you know damn well I ride the fucking bus. <laughs> and it's just her jaw just dropped. And she just looked at me like eyes wide. I was like, you know what? Fuck you and this job. Like I had never talked to anyone like this up until this point. I was like, fuck you and this job. I'm out. I'm not going to let you talk to me like this. I'm sick and tired of people talking to me like this. I'm not going to stand for it now. I'm never going to stand for it again. You know what? I hope you get what you fucking deserve. And I left. And while I was leaving, (laughs) as soon as I left, I was freaking out. I was like, oh, my God. I can't believe I freaking quit. Maybe I should go back. Oh, God. Why did I do this? Why did I do that? But part of me felt right. Part of me felt vindicated. Part of me felt like I did the right thing. But the other part of me was like, oh man, the freaking PTSD, the 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 fucking the anxiety, all of that mother, all of them, they had a field day in my head. I was like, oh, you done did it now. Oh, you done did it now. And I'm saying for, for like 24 hours straight, it was just nothing but just repetitive thoughts about how I fucked up. And so I'm sitting here in my apartment, rocking back and forth, freaking out freaking out 
playing video games and silently screaming inside my head that I fucked up. That I shouldn't have quit that fucking job and I should have just let her keep talking to me like that. And it was just like a war going on inside my head. Did we did we handle this right? I don't think we fucking did. No, I think we did. I don't fucking think we did. Like, for, for this turned from one day into weeks. Well, not really weeks. It was days. Because I actually started looking for, for work. Now, mind you, at this point in time, I don't know why, but I didn't have a valid ID. I can't remember exactly why. I don't know if I lost it or if the idea I had wasn't good or it was expired or something and I just didn't have enough money. I didn't have enough money to do something. I don't know. But everywhere I applied wouldn't hire me. And I started doing different shit, let's just say, to make money. Some of it, a lot of it revolving around fighting. I I was fighting for cash. And I was doing mock wrestling for for cash. That's a whole different story in and of itself. But I will tell you that there is a video of me somewhere on the internet in a leopard speedo wrestling a bunch of dudes. If you can find it, good luck. But I've never found it. No one that knows me ever has. People have looked. Believe you me, people have looked. And um, yeah, I... I, I did what I had to do to survive. You know, it was another sword that I acquired. Is that I learned that you sometimes you <laughs> sometimes you have to do what you have to do to survive. And the one thing that I didn't think I would ever be willing to do, I did, which is fight for money. And I, man, I acquired so many swords in that it was ridiculous. But of course, it didn't pay the bills, and it wasn't steady cash, and so. This is around the time that I started getting eviction notices. Started getting all kinds of eviction notices. Not really eviction notices, take that back. I was getting, I got my very first warning. I'll take that back. I, I, was, I got, I'm, I'm that, that was hyperbolic. I, it wasn't like eviction notices. I wasn't getting letters and stuff. I was just getting the apartment manager knocking on the door asking me if I was gonna pay the rent. And then after about a week of that, I stopped answering. And I was just kind of sitting in the apartment you know, freaking out and screaming inside while they were knocking on the door trying to see if I was home. And then a thought came to me. I I think I even had a dude staying with me that was just as homeless as I was. And I think I invited him to stay with me because he said that he could get us work. And he was the one that got me into the fight game. And he was doing just as bad financially as I was. The only thing is, is that he was always staying with hoes. I wasn't. I was not even trying to talk to the ladies because I didn't think that I was shit. And so, like, even in that, he had a place to stay at the end of the day, and I didn't. So I was sitting there freaking out. Didn't know what to do. And then, of course, one of my old swords kind of came into my mind of critical thinking. I was like, you know what? Forget all this worry shit. We, we really need to stop this because now... The next step is they're going to send the constable. And they had already told me that. And so I'm sitting there waiting for the constable to show up. And my very first thought. No, I mean, it wasn't my very first thought. It was my last thought. And I hate to say that it was my last thought. Because I had been under my mother's house for so long. 
and my mother had been so critical of my father, my real dad, for years. Always talk shit about him. Always say, he, ain't, he didn't pay nothing for y'all. He hasn't done nothing for y'all. He ain't done nothing for y'all. She used to say that for years. She used to say that. He ain't done nothing for y'all. He ain't going to do nothing for y'all. You can go see him if you want to. He ain't got nothing for you. Like, yeah. And I had my dad's number in my phone. I don't remember how I got it or how long I had it, but I had my father's number in my... Oh, because... I remember uh, my dad, my dad was always checking up on us. Little, you know, little Danino, but my dad was always checking up on us all the time. It's kind of like a perfect representation of God, you know? But I mean, that was my father. My father was always checking up on us. And when he found out, uh, he, had been, he had been following all my exploits. He knew about me going to the military, and he was back in Dallas telling all his friends, he was so proud. Oh, my son's a Navy man. My son's a Navy man. My dad was always proud of me. Didn't know it because my mother never told me. But my dad was always proud of me. He was proud when he found out I went to college. He was proud when, I, when he found out that I had a job working downtown and I was making good money. He was proud about damn near everything that I did. He was proud that I was in ROTC for four years. He was proud about everything. Didn't know. Didn't know because I didn't talk to him. Didn't talk to my dad. And the reason why I didn't talk to my dad is because my mother had convinced me that that was, that was fruitless. There was nothing that could come of it. I think some of you know where I'm getting at with all this. But, oh yeah, so like, I'm sitting there, and it was just a thought, like, and my dad, I remember, I had remembered, and you know, see, even now I forgot. You see how brainwashing works? Even now I had forgotten that my dad had told me if I ever needed anything to just call him. And this whole time I hadn't. I was trying to deal with it on my own. I was like, you know, I was like, I got this. It was like, you know, I, I was, I was, I was like, I was back in the McDonald's play place again. It was like, I was like, I gotta figure this out on my own because we can figure this out. I had it in my head that I could figure it out if I just tried hard enough. And everything I tried wasn't working. I couldn't find another job. Most places weren't. The, the, the places I was applying weren't going to take me because of my ID. I do remember that. And I had no friends. I had nowhere to turn to, and I had no home. But I had my father. And somewhere in my head, I had it that if I called my father, that he would help me. It was just—it was like the last light at the, at the end of this damn tunnel that I was grasping for. I was like, you know, it's either that or be homeless. And I didn't want to be a bother to my father. I remember that. It's like I felt the same way about my father that I felt about my, my friends at Gil's house. You know, I just, I didn't want, I didn't want to burden him with my problems. My problem is that I felt like, on some level, I, I played a role in, you know? There was somewhere that I was messing up, and I knew it. And the only reason why I knew that is because my mother had been telling me that for years. I was always messing up, so somewhere down, somewhere I fucked up. And I knew that I did. I believed it in my heart. So. When I called my dad, I called him from this real, like, low state, like, really, really sad. And he could hear it in my voice. And he had even talked about coming and visiting me, you know? He had said, like, he's like, you know, like, like, you know, give me a couple weeks, I'll come visit you, you know? Give me a couple weeks, come, I'll come check you out. I had completely forgotten about all that. So I called my dad. And this was, like, right after the constable had finally come and knocked on my door and told me that I had, like, two weeks. Or like, a, like no, that like, not even two weeks. I think they, they, I think they told me I had like a few days, like a few, few days to get out. 
and they were gonna come and forcibly remove me. And so I called my dad and I told him everything. I just, I mean, I just pouring out my heart to my father on the phone. But the, the thing about my dad is like the very first thing that he says when he got on the phone is the first thing that he always says to me. He says, my son, my son, ah, oh, how's my son? You know, and I couldn't even sound happy. In fact, when he said that, I just started crying. And then he was like, what's wrong, what's wrong? And I just told him everything. And, I, and so what does my dad say? So at this point, after I told my dad everything and how everything had planned out and where I was at, my state and all that, well, I'm sitting here thinking in my head that this isn't gonna work. This, I'm just gonna be as screwed as I was before. He's gonna say like, you know, okay, well, I'll see what I can do. And then I'm not gonna hear from him again like everybody else. Uh, what, what happened? My dad, he was like, he's like, all right, I'm coming to get you. Like, it was the first thing that came out of his mouth. Like, no, no hesitation. No, what well, did you do this? Or did you do that? Or, what well, did you tell him this? Or, well, you shouldn't have done that. None of that. None of that. My dad was like, I'm coming to get you. I'll be there in, I'll be there in two days. I'll be there. No, he's, no, he's, no, fuck that. He said, I'll be there tomorrow. And my dad was. He was there in a day. We packed all my stuff up, left everything that we couldn't take back, and uh, he took me back to Dallas with him. And then <laughs> the very first, the very first thing he does when we hop in the car and start our road trip from San Antonio to Dallas is he fires up a blunt and he passes it to me. <laughs> You can kind of say this is my first, this is, this is another one of my swords. It's my green one. I love it. Because honestly, like, dude, Sativa has kept my, my mind above sinking for a very, very long time. Because it's always kept me in a positive, you know, mindset. I've always encouraged people who, who have depressive tendencies or people who don't know how to control themselves to really look into THC, to really look into THC. You know, and and, and and marijuana in general, because I honestly wouldn't be here without it, without it, and and you know things that are positive like games and and you know um, and positive people. I, I wouldn't be here without without that. So yeah, he hands me a blunt that he rolled up and tells me to smoke it. And this, I mean, I had smoked a little weed before, but I ain't smoked nothing like this. And, and not to this degree. And me and him, we smoked weed the whole the whole way back to Dallas and talked about everything. I told him about everything. I filled him in on on what had happened, the diary, the what we, what it was like living in that house. And he told me that I wasn't wrong, and that what was done to me was monstrous, and that that we were gonna that we were gonna get through it. You know, and uh, my dad, he nursed me back to health for like two or three years. He didn't make me get a job. He was always like making me leave the house. My dad was always giving me money. You know, uh, he used to make me go downtown and hang out. So I would go to the West End in Dallas. I'd hang out at this place called Tiki Joe's. I actually bumped into my sister one night. That was That's a funny fucking story. Uh, but yeah, um, yeah, like, and I, and I, and my dad, he, he did, he nursed me back to health and, and 
mentally, physically, and everything. I started working out again. I, I started taking care of myself again. I was watching TV, and I think that was when I decided to go to Job Corps. You know, like, because I, I, I got tired of staying at my dad's. I got tired of him, like, looking after me like I was some wounded, you know, animal. And I was, but I didn't want to believe that I was. And so I, and I got, I, it's, it was something about my father taking pity on me that just pissed me off. Because it was like, you know, like, like this isn't how it's supposed to go, you know? And my dad was still so fucking proud of me. He was so proud of me. It was like he saw something that I didn't see. That I wanted to know what it was. I mean, I see it now, but I mean, like, I guess that's what this podcast is about. Acquiring tools for survival. I've always, I, I, I learned from my father this one thing because I remember I remember asking my dad because my dad staying with him I saw something I saw something that I didn't see in my stepdad and I didn't see in my mom he had ambition he had he had this ambition about him he he worked all the time by himself and didn't have to he worked way harder than he should all his life and he was always doing these weird things that didn't make any sense to me but made perfect sense to him you know like taking out insurance policies you know and and but he always had money and he always had he's always planning and always thinking and always knew the answers to things he just he he I, i could ask my father about anything didn't matter i could point a light pole and ask him how he got there and how it works and he could tell you he was, he was wise beyond measure. And I wanted that because it just, it worked for him. I figured it could work for me. But I remember, I'll never forget. There was two things that my father taught me before. Well, three, there was three lessons that my father tried to teach me before he died. The first one was, and this was, was having to do with my family. He said, discretion is the better part of valor. And I know what that means now. It took me years to figure out what it meant. But, you know, yeah. Being discreet is very important. Not not letting everybody know how you move. You know, move like a wolf or get preyed on. That was something I came up with out of that. And then another thing that he taught me is that um, it was a song when I was a little boy. You know, it's like, I don't need nobody to give me nothing. He opened up the door and I get it myself. He used to make me sing it when I was a little boy. I, he had me singing it even when I was older, even though I hated it. But I mean, like, I love that song now. I, I teach it to my daughter. And then the last one, he used to say this all the time. Because I used to ask my dad, my dad, man, when he every day that he got off work, he would have a BC powder and a Schultz malt liquor. Until like later on when he started drinking those nasty butt ices. They say that's what killed him, but he had a bad wife that had him on a bad diet and he was a diabetic. I, I kind of hold her responsible, but whatever. Um, and I used to ask him, I was like, Dad, how do you work so damn hard? You're gone like all day. You barely have like any time. 
and he was an insomniac too on top of it so like most of the time i am too kind of but i mean like he would stay up like almost all night work all day stay up all night have his big ass beer and bc powder lay in the bed watch shows and be up off and on all night i'd i'd wake up at one o'clock in the morning and play a video game he'd be strolling out of his room in his underwear like hey morning sun like you're not asleep you got work in the morning he's like i'm good Go in the kitchen and make him a little something to eat. Go lay back down. Go back to sleep. Wake up again at, at five in the morning. Nothing got leave to. I mean, like he was, he was a weird man, and, and, and like, but always had the energy to go. Always, like we road trips and driving and doing this and doing that. My dad never looked tired. He just didn't. It was odd as hell to me. And then he told me, like I, I asked him, I was like, how? Like how? How do? How? You know? And he was like. I will my body to do what I want it to do. My body does what I tell it to do because it's my damn body. My mind is my mind, so it thinks how I want it to think because it's my damn mind. My body, everything about me is in subjection to me. And I was like, damn. I never forgot that. I say that to say this. Life is all about acquiring tools. It really is. You know, you can you can look at problems and, and trauma and bad situations as problems and traumas and bad situations, or you can reinvent how you look at problems. And for me, it's acquiring swords. For me, when I see problems that need to be resolved, I see, all right, that's a new sword I need to acquire. I mean, at this point, I have shit tons of them. I have a whole collection of swords that I've acquired in my life from bad situations that I had to to rethink how I saw them and then I saw good in it. You know, it's like I, I've said before, you know, you, you, a lot of situations you gotta eat the meat and spit out the bones. Not, and for me, I've learned that there's no such thing as a, as a, as a all bad scenario. It just isn't because there's an upside to it. You just have to really, you have to have the right kind of eyes to see it. You have to have the kind of eyes that are capable of seeing possibilities. And you can't do that from a negative state. You just can't. You can't see possibilities from a negative state. And so I'm always feeding myself possibilities and positives, even in the worst of circumstances. And it's taught me how to get myself fired up and ready to go and ready to slay incredibly fast since I've been able to, to master that ability of just seeing swords and tools and new tools and everything, you know, and even in people. Because I learned a lot from the people who showed me care over distance. I learned a lot from very caring people. I've learned a lot from very uncaring people. I learned shit from everyone. And that's the reason why I'm always welcoming to everyone. And that's also the reason why I value being honest. Because the thing about it is, is that lots of people, they get away with shit because of people who are like how I was. They sit there and they take it because they think it's their moral responsibility to take pain. Because they've been brainwashed to believe that that's some form of virtue is to stand there and take pain. The thing about it is, is that 
there's more that could be done. And a lot of it is just in telling the truth. Telling someone that when they've done you wrong, that it was wrong and that you did do it. Whether they want to believe it or not. I can't tell you how many arguments I've squashed before they even started because I could intelligently and eloquently point out how you are wrong. And I'm not gonna let you wiggle out of that. You can make this about my attitude. You can make this about how I came at you. You can make this about how you don't like me personally. I don't give a shit. At the end of the day, you were fucking wrong. What you did to me was wrong. How you went about it was wrong. How you conceived it was wrong. And I'm never gonna let you wiggle out of that. And I saw you do it. And when you start doing that with people, I'm telling you, people will start removing themselves from your life. When people start catching wind that you're the kind of person who's 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 taking tally on shit, when people realize that you're vetting them to see if they're authentic, I promise you, people will start falling out of your life like flies because most people do not want to be called out on their bullshit because most people benefit some way shape or form from treating you poorly. And when you can understand that people can benefit from treating you poorly, the whole world starts to open up to you because then you start realizing all kinds of shit about organizations, about people in positions of power, about all kinds of shit. People can benefit from lying to you. People can benefit from treating you poorly. People can benefit from creating false narratives about you. People can benefit from creating bad press about you. People can benefit from, you know, bad rumors being spread about you. People can benefit from that shit. And usually what they do is they use that shit to misdirect from them and what they're doing. And I learned that. And it's something that I can, I, I can sniff that shit out like a bloodhound now. I know the difference between caring acts and caring acts and uncaring acts. And you're not going to confuse me on on what it is just because you're offended or you don't agree or whatever. The fuck, who cares if you agree? It's, if you're wrong, you're wrong. I don't give a damn if you agree or not. And I'll shout it to the rooftops. You'll have to kill me to silence me. Because you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. Factually wrong. You know, don't back down from that shit. Because see, the thing about it is, most of my life was hell. Longer than it should have been because I didn't have the guts to tell the truth. And sure, things could have gotten bad. Hell, I could have called my family out on all their bullshit years ago and wound up being kicked out a whole lot sooner than I did. But I think I still would have wound up here. You know? So, uh, like, like, forget all that, that meek and being quiet shit. That's brainwashing. There ain't, there ain't, not, there ain't nothing truthful about that. That people, that's, that's just makes more occasions, uh, you know, more occasions for, for evil to spread, more occasions for people to just do foul shit. And I mean, look at where we are right now. Like, it ain't, it ain't helping nothing. So, especially right now in the age of this ocean of lies that we're all living in, lots of people have decided that it is in our best interest, to be honest. 
now more than ever. Because the elites are lying about a whole bunch of shit. And the 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 the, the scary thing about it is this is it's not one innocent life in the balance. This is hundreds of thousands of millions of lives in the balance. I mean, I'm telling you, I would really hate to see, because I'm already seeing it, I would really hate to see what I lived under all those years in that house, the, you know, accusations without proof and, and, and backbiting and, and, and shit talking and pointing fingers and blame and guilt and no mercy and you know like i would really hate to see that out here with me cuz I, I fought a war to get away from that shit and i'll fight another damn war to find my peace bet that <laughs> so i mean like i i guess i guess that's all i really got to say about all this um yeah this one wasn't really too informative this was just more of a kind of a a, a different point of view thought take what you can from it or don't i really don't care because i've learned that if people don't care about their own lives it doesn't really matter what i think you know i mean i can care and i can love you from here but if you don't care about your own life then nothing can be done (laughs) until you do you know But I know one thing, I'd much rather be a caring person than not.